back to a very special episode of Smell You Later. Ooh. <laughs> That's me being a ghost. Because it's our Halloween episode. It is our Halloween episode. Happy Halloween. Ooh. Our ooky, spooky Halloween episode. Yeah, it's a really good one. And one that right when we were starting this podcast, I was like, well, first we were like, should we do holiday episodes? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We love being festive. Yes. And then I'm like, oh, oh, for Halloween, I have the perfect idea. And it came to fruition. Yeah. You can tell this is Sable's idea because it's good. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell it's mine because it's weird and kind of gross. So. (laughs) No, I love it. It's really exciting. I love Halloween. I love it too. It's so fun. It's like my second favorite holiday. It might be my favorite. Or maybe Flag Day. I don't know. Oh my God. (laughs) What is your favorite Halloween costume that you have had? Oh my gosh. When I was a kid, (laughs) no, this was like the the flexiest flex, like the biggest flex in my entire life. And I I will never live up to this moment again. When I was a kid, I must have been in third grade. And my mom, okay, so my mom works in fashion adjacent, like garment production. But she, she Sable's knows. mom, it's Vera Wang. Surprise. Yeah, I was, I was like, it, it seems misleading to say my mom works in fashion because she doesn't. It's garment production, but she, you know, she can sew like a wizard. She went to FIT. Uh, she also paints really well too. But she used to make a lot of my clothes as a kid, and I would roll up to picture day looking like Jackie O in this like tiny yes. little Chanel baby suit. And weirdly, all of my teachers thought I was rich because they thought it was like designer children's clothes. Mm-hmm. And then all of my friends made fun of me for being poor because my <laughs> because my mom made my clothes. And for whatever reason, that means I'm poor. <laughs> Children are fucked. Um, <laughs> but for Halloween, I was obsessed with Lisa Frank. Same. So she made me the bunny ballerina costume like full replica it was like cosplay oh my god and when i rolled up to the goddamn playground as the bunny ballerina from lisa frank it was like i was a celebrity rolling up to what is cool in new york like dorcia it's not a real restaurant but you know it's it was like fanfare do you have photos of this i do oh my god i have to see these yeah we have to post these or well my parents definitely do i'll have to like go to their house and rate a photo photo album yeah but uh yes it was ugh. I just remember feeling so cool because I was like, I have the coolest Halloween costume. <laughs> totally. There's nothing like knowing you have a Halloween costume mm-hmm. and just like feeling like that girl. You yes. know what I mean? Ugh, I love that. I was like, eat it, bitches. Totally. Totally. <laughs> or what are you? A witch? Original. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice mummy. <laughs> Did you have a favorite Halloween costume? Yeah, all of them. Um, <laughs> actually, like you, my mom also sews like really, really, really well and has always made a lot of my clothes, especially growing up. No one called me poor. They just called me gay. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's this one that I actually don't remember, but I know happened because there are photos. Um, I was <laughs> I was Kermit the Frog. And it's this Aww. really cute photo of my mom holding me. And I'm wearing, I don't know. She did it really. She like knocked it out of the park. I have to find this. I won't show any of you, but um, <laughs> that was really cool. But I don't. I wish I remembered it. She made me a merman when I was like twenty, which merman. was very cool. And I was like, I was like, Ma, I really want to be a mermaid. And she's like, Okay. And I was thinking, like, you know, we'd get the material that has the gills, not silkscreen, the whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, and that are shiny. And it would essentially be like a pencil skirt moment and like yeah. cut off at the knees and then have, I don't know, a fin or some streamers, or whatever. She's like, I got it. Don't worry. That costume went to the ankle and it it was like a pencil skirt, but like to the ankle. So I was just like shuffling around <laughs> the entire night. I was like, this is so unsafe. And she's like, yeah, but it looks good. And I was like, you're right. Um, so that was a really, really good one. 
I was Robin one year and that was also great. But my la- actually, I didn't dress up last Halloween because I was really new to New York and I just they didn't get my shit together in time. And also Halloween kind of happened over two weekends last year. Yes. I was like really early and I didn't realize like, like that was the weekend. I thought I had another yeah. week. So I, I didn't have time. And also my best friends were in town. So that was a whole nother thing. And then like by the next weekend, I was like, I'm not doing this twice. But the week, uh, the Halloween before I was Helga Pataki from <laughs> Hey Arnold. And I, I think that that was maybe my best that's a great costume one. it was really it was very good my mom made the yeah. dress and i made the the hair which is essentially a helmet <laughs> with two huge pigtails that stuck out <laughs> straight in either direction it really did look i mean it looked how she looks in the cartoon it was i not to pat my myself on the back but it was really good my friend brian was like i always forget how much you step your pussy up each halloween and i'm like ah, i don't know it's great so I th- that's the one holiday to turn out totally i really want to be this halloween i really want to be rosie from the jetsons Oh, that would have been cute. It's, it's going to be good. Yeah, we're we're locked down for Halloween. So. I know. It's like I want to put all this work into the costume, but for what? Like, can for I'm the not, gram for the gram for the gram? I, as if I, like, well, I was even asking that question. I know. I just remember like working in beauty around mm. Halloween. It's just like tutorial after tutorial of like Halloween looks. What like, is it? It's, it's the deer look. Yep. It's some you know, sort of cat. It's some sort of cat. Yeah. It's some sort of like zombie skeleton with fake yep. blood. Mm-hmm. Vampires, uh, sexy vampires. Yeah. Yeah, yep. exactly. God. We love it. I mean, more power to you guys. I know. I never want to look. I, no, I don't ever want to be like a sexy version of anything. <laughs> I, I applaud everyone that does. It's just not. I just want to look stupid. I, I always want to wear yeah. something on my head. That's like yeah. every Halloween. I turn <laughs> it out with something on my head. Um, I always want to look scary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like, you're not sure if it's a costume or not. That's what I want to look like. Mm-hmm. Last year, what did I do last year? Ugh, New York City Halloween is, it's on a different level than Halloween in general. I feel it's like, it's like an honorary or secondary New Year's Eve. Yes. Because there's so much FOMO mm-hmm. of things to do, places to go. Like, everything's expensive. If you want to go to a club or whatever, the, the cover charge is insane. Yeah. I don't do that. I don't fuck with that. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's like the investment in your costume. So, it's just... It's a lot. It's like, no, you're totally right. And it, it it's a lot like New Year's Eve. It's like, I do not. It's like the one night a year that I don't want to go to a I bar. Know. And I would so much rather just go to like a house party. Yes. And like, I'd be, act- be able to actually like see the costumes and like have a little bit of room. Yeah. I don't know. Oh my God. When I was Helga, I, I, <laughs> I bartend because I, you know, bartended my entire life. And I was wearing the, um, I was wearing the pigtails behind the bar. And I'm telling you, the, the wingspan of these things was probably <laughs> altogether four feet. So I was like knocking bottles down and we had just gotten a new bar oh back and God. I kept smacking him in the face with them. It was really bad, but really funny. Yeah. It's like, put these people in bulky costumes in this tiny amount of space behind a bar. Exactly. <laughs> I, sh- I should have been something slutty, slutty that year because like I had no room for, and n- neither did any- anyone else, but I looked good and that's all that mattered. <laughs> I want to just get like, fucked up looking contacts this year that's what i'll do i've actually never put on contacts they like i used to when i wore glasses like in college and then i ran out of health insurance i ran out of glasses yeah (laughs) and then i just struggled until my eyes improved i feel like they're just gonna like float to the back of my eye then slice it off that no (laughs) that's what happens (laughs) (laughs) don't you know that's what happens with contact lenses yeah no they don't they somehow suction just to your iris because that part sticks out more like your eyeball's not perfectly round. It's creepy. Right. It's like a lemon. They're also yeah, no, they're different sizes <laughs> yes. because they form mm-hmm. on their own, just like your testicles. Well not yours, but <laughs> we're scientists now. <laughs> Speaking of science. Yes. 
What do you smell like today, Tynan? Because this is our ooky spooky episode, mm. I smell like a fragrance called Sleeping with Ghosts by Mark Buxton. Wow. Nailed yeah. it. I'm obsessed with ghosts. Not even like paranormal activity, just like sheet ghosts. <laughs> just like ghosts. As, a con- yeah. as a concept. Yeah, like sheet ghosts as done by the peanuts. Got it. Um, anyway, actually, this is, I am learning now called dreaming with ghosts the name has changed somebody got sued Um, (laughs) this is lovely so sleeping with ghosts is to me like a very purple fragrance it's very fruity but not super sweet it's like half fruity and half earthy there's marigold and kints at the top and then in the middle there's peony and leather and then at the base there's vanilla and vetiver and I, I don't Sounds know. Nice. It is. It's very not spooky, but nice. It's it, it's not very spooky. I thought it was gonna be like you know, smell like a head shop. You know, <laughs> what, what's that oil company? Well, I don't know. Never mind. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's lovely to me. It just smells like wind through the curtains in a dark bedroom. It it's nice. It does. It's it doesn't smell spooky like a ghost it smells like a memory like a ghost Ooh. do you know what i mean it's like it's really heady but it's really approachable and really beautiful yeah I, I think a lot of the kints comes through i don't know if i'm saying that right What's i also kints? don't know what that is it's yeah. a fruit <laughs> okay but i've I'll, never eaten that i'll have to google image it i don't know so it's a lot of that and then sandalwood and vetiver i think uh you know help it out and then vanilla at the base it's it's nice i, I don't know it's it's not it's sort of linear so it doesn't evolve on the skin a whole lot which is fine I, th- I it's just really beautiful and i don't wear it a lot but it's to me it's like a nighttime fragrance not in like a like a sexy sensual way but just in the way that it smells dark Ooh. and yeah it smells like like being in a bedroom where the sun is going down and like you're losing light and everything is like glowing blue Ooh. i don't know I like exactly Very that's spe- what it sounds that's spooky. what it smells like exactly that sounds spooky vibes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sable what are you wearing I am wearing, speaking of spooky, mm. Byredo Gypsy Water. This is a Byredo podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and part of me is like, are we allowed to say gypsy water? Yeah, I think we, we, can't, I say, we can't say gypsy anymore. Okay, so just water. Yeah. Byredo G water. <laughs> yeah, G water. G water. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if they're aware of that, but, or, or what the origins is it, but the scent itself is lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, I had heard of it for a long time before I actually sniffed it just because it was one of those like whenever uh, places like Into the Gloss would do top shelves with models, it was always like a model fragrance. So it's like, oh, I know what that smells like. Nothing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Maybe like a flower. And it does smell like flowers. It's a, it's like a woody floral. There's some balsamic notes, which I recently learned is... (laughs) Because I always thought balsamic was like balsamic vinegar, but Same. it's like, no, it's from the balsa tree. Duh. So it's, yeah, it's this really woody, musky floral scent, which to me, it does smell like models in, you know, in the sense of like the ITG model, the girl who just wears her boyfriend's trousers and jeans and sweatshirts and somehow they fit her in a flattering way. Also, you literally are yeah. a model. <laughs> so let's start Not that there. kind of model. <laughs> mm. I'm a fit model, which is basically like like a human mannequin <laughs> literally like a human marionette not as glamorous but you know it's a source of income although i haven't done it in the past six months wait are you a fit model i just meant you're yes. hot oh oh, oh. <laughs> no i am oh cool <laughs> for what yeah. for like 
for like okay well it's there's like a little bit of nepotism involved because it's like the company my mom works for oh and i just happen to weirdly be the same proportions of their regular fit model mm-hmm. just two sizes smaller so i'm their petite fit model that's so crazy yeah it's it's so weird they they sell it's like not cool clothes it's like stuff i think your recently divorced high school art teacher auntie would wear in south florida i love that there's literally like nothing you don't do i'm trying to pay you a compliment you're like no i'm actually literally that as well this is because that's what you have to do and you have to make money and you went to school for theater so <laughs> did you go to school for theater yes I my did. god i know i've made some choices tynan i love you're doing fine Sable. i'm in your two-bedroom apartment yeah please i i have been fortunate things have worked out well for me yeah, but, uh, you're fucking smart yeah and then there's me yeah <laughs> Just kidding. I'm very smart. Co-host of this podcast. Co-host of the co-ghost. <laughs> co-ghost. Oh, I get it. Like, ah, okay. Co-ghost. Woo. I love it. All right. Anyway, back to G-Water. <laughs> back to G-Water. Uh, sorry, Byrito, but we just co-opted that. But yes, this fragrance, it's it's very elegant in a not uptight way. It's like laid back eleganza, um, <laughs> if you can put it that way. It smells to me. It's just like cozy sweaters. Just, I don't know. It's like being arm in arm with, a, with your boo. Walking down the cobblestone streets of Soho. Taylor Swift vibe. Yes, very Taylor Swift, Cornelia Street vibes. Yep. Um, Stream folklore. And I kind of shied away from it because of that. Because to me, to me, it was like it was like nouveau basic. Mm. But then I was like, wait, this is actually really nice. Yeah. And no one's complimented me on it, but I smell myself, and I'm like, mm, that's nice. If no one compliments me on anything, it just goes in the trash. Same. Never again. No, same, same. <laughs> But then, you know, like I'm also not interacting with as many people these days. So I just own the little travel size vial. So I've been slowly kind of nursing that throughout. God, I think I got that like two years ago at like a holiday set, but it's nice. Also, what is perfume shopping right now like? Like, is that happening? Can we do that? Because that involves like touching things. I, I went to Sephora. Oh, what was that like? It was fine. And you know how like everyone is saying that like, there are no testers anymore. But I mean, that's a lie. Oh. I think they're telling you to like not test. And also like at... Then why have them? At, I know. That's weird. Because we're being told at work that like the same thing, like there's no testers anymore. You have mm-hmm. to be... We have to use visual merchandising in a completely new and different way and really show mm-hmm. everything you possibly can. But then I went to Sephora and there's testers out of makeup and really... What? And fragrance and shit. Yeah, I don't know. It was very Sephora, weird. Sephora, explain yourself. Anyway, what I meant was... <laughs> I want to go shopping. Same. Because I want to go to Barreto. <laughs> Are they open? DS and Durga just opened, Did reopened. They? I wonder if Barreto opened. Probably. I wonder if they ever shut down. Who knows? No. There's never anyone in there. So I'm That's like, true. <laughs> they're like one person allowed at a time. Oh, it's normal. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. I've been to Manhattan literally like four times in the past six months. Mm-hmm. So maybe the next time I'm in that neighborhood, I'll just stroll, stroll along. We should go. Yeah, we should. What is it? Wooster Street? I have no idea. I think, or Green Street. I know I know where it is by, like, my feet will just take me there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, yeah. What were we talking about? Back to the subject of our episode, The Smell of Death. We have an amazing guest who I literally found by Googling The Smell of Death, Mo Kostandi, who is a neuroscientist or neurobiologist. So Mo Kostandi, he wrote, it was on the first page of Google, he wrote... A couple articles about what happens to your body after you die, the decomposition process, and the smell of death, and what makes it up, how it's analyzed, and all of that. 
So I was like, tell me all of this again in podcast form, please. They were both, both articles are super interesting. The smell of, and the, the titles are bangers too. Yeah. And just literal, one was The Smell of Death. Yep. And that was a, a more abbreviated article. Mm-hmm. And then wasn't it What Happens After You Die or something? Something like that, yeah. And I was like, ooh, spooky. Yeah. Vibes. But then it was like, no, this is like how things decompose. Yes. But that was still, a lot of it was honestly like a little over my head, but it was still really interesting. It was so fascinating and it opened my eyes to a lot of th- like I obviously was like I don't know what happens after you die because no. I don't know anyone personally who's died and if I did they would be Wouldn't not be handled by you. me yeah. yeah it's like I'm not touching that but uh the articles were so well written and easy to understand for someone like me a plebe who studied theater and not science yeah. and it just made me want to learn more it's so funny too because our culture does not talk about death yes you know what I mean at all Very no one knows no one knows I don't mean to say you know, no one knows what happens after you die because obviously, but you know, no one knows what to do with the body. Yeah. Or, and you know, no one knows how to handle anything. And other cultures are, you know, death is, I don't want to say celebrated, but like kind of, and They're it's rituals, ritualistic. Yeah. And yeah, there's a whole, like, you know, everyone knows it's very yes. like based in the family and like this is what this person does. And it's not us. Yeah. Even grief. Like we don't, as a culture, like even really touch on grief. No. It's just like very impolite. So no one talks about it. Yeah. And shameful. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's like a strange kind of shame. Like mm-hmm. you have to like keep a stiff upper lip. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about death? I, I, okay. I can't ask you. You are so much less tightly wound than I am. This is why I'm so <laughs> glad that we are like less both what? doing tightly wound than oh. I am. Um, you know what though? Actually, from a scientific standpoint, I was like, well, it's almost like if you're knocked unconscious, you just black out and then you just don't exist and you have no consciousness. So you don't care about it because you can't think about anything <laughs> so from who, 19 to 27. Yeah. So who, so who cares? Like, cause you, you're dead, you know? Yeah. And then I met two people who both of which had accidents. One was a car crash and one was an overdose and they were pronounced dead for a handful of minutes, like in the hospital when they were trying to be resuscitated. And they both said, very different stories and they're like no there's a lot of shit like beyond death like i thought i was in a coma for six weeks and then i like came back and they were like you were dead for eight minutes which also seems like a very long time also where did you meet these people and were they together they were not together one of them was a man i met on the subway (laughs) you have awesome subway stories (sighs) Yeah. Oh, was that that dude? That was that dude. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. He. Yeah. Anyway, I <laughs> met a dude on the subway. It seemed promising at first. Didn't go anywhere. But he had a very fascinating story about getting hit by a car while biking home drunk and dying Ugh. for a little while. Which, like he said, happened when we met. He said it happened five years prior. But he just like always talked about it. And part of me was like, I think you need to work through this trauma because like. This is very on your mind, and it happened five years ago. No, that's just a straight guy thing. It's the only thing that, it that's might also cool. Be that. You know, only cool things that ever happened to him. Yeah, and then part of me is like, is that your your thing? Like with girls, mm. like you tell them how you died because it hundred percent worked. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I fucking fell for it. Yeah. So good on you, dude. Right. But yeah, that was fascinating. And the second other person was a Reiki instructor who said that he was oh, that's like, like healing, right? Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm still not a hundred percent on what reiki is but oh. i know it involves healing in a spiritual way and he said that he before he was a reiki instructor he had like severe addiction problems and just like wasn't doing anything with his life he od'd and then when he died for however many minutes before he was resuscitated he's like 
Yeah, I was in this weird, like, almost like an airport terminal. And, what? like, all these other souls were waiting to re- to reincarnate. What? And they could choose where they Stop. went. Stop. Yeah, they could choose. And he's like, no one told me this. I just knew it at the time. Like, for whatever reason, intrinsically knew it that I was told I could return to my body different than I was. They're like, well, they're like, well, you'd like, oh, you just died. So you're, you're still fresh. So you can go back to that or you can go to someone new. Like you choose. That's crazy. Yeah. So I'm like, I think there's some shit after death, man. I don't know about Christianity, but like. I mean, Christianity is not the only option. Yeah. And I just think, you know, it's like the concept of souls. Like, do you believe people have souls? And if you do, like, how could a soul just die once your body is no longer living that's so crazy it's so wild i'm horrified of death (laughs) i'm horrified of it hurting or like suffering like i know Mm. i know everyone dies but i'm like i just don't want to suffer i'm not about it it's not in my plans (laughs) okay yeah i'm not aligned with it i'm gonna skip that i am i feel like i'm always three seconds away from like getting bludgeoned or hit by a bus (laughs) you know what i mean just something like there's always like a indiana jones cannonball just like careening toward me oh my god like everything every time i turn around and i'm that's not me saying like i'm afraid of death i'm just like i really don't want to be hit by a car ever in my life um let's edit that out but anyway (laughs) our interview which is very fascinating to me yeah and because it's not you know like we said a topic that any of us really know how to approach Mm -hmm. and um there are in in approaching it this way it is so different than how we usually you know we usually think about death in that way like what's after death what happens you know what's what's next but this is like no this is what happens when everything else is still here but your soul or whatever is not yeah crazy when you're you're just a husk (laughs) returning to the earth for once you came (laughs) anyway cool after that whole preamble i loved it let's get to our episode with mocha standy let's do it hello hi no hello how's it going i was i was just uh it occurred to me, maybe you should change your names to Pong and Stinks for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening. Thank you for humoring me with this probably like very macabre <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, that's excellent. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be on your, on your podcast. <laughs> Great. So what would your title be? Well, uh, a writer, really. I trained as a, a neuroscientist, a developmental neuroscientist. But I work as a freelance writer, and, and I write mostly about about neuroscience. So that article was very out of my usual range of subjects. But it's actually uh, the most popular thing I've ever written. Wow. It it truly it came up the first the first page on when I googled it it was one of the first articles that came up. Yeah, you know it's a quite comprehensive article ab- about that. I don't think I've ever seen any uh, sort of popular articles about the the subject. Not ones that go into that much detail. Anyway. Yeah, I haven't. I did not find any others either. So you mentioned that you work on. Is it called a corpse farm? Uh. <laughs> a body farm a body so farm I, okay yeah so i visited two body farms in texas as part of the research for that article mm-hmm. there's more than so one there are the first one is in the first one to open was in knoxville tennessee that opened in about 1980 
I visited two in Texas. The, the largest one is in San Marcos, and there's another one in Huntsville, Texas. Mm. And I think there may be one or two others elsewhere in the States. I don't know where. And I know one opened in Australia a year or two ago. But there aren't many of these. Uh, they're, they're forensic anthropology uh, facilities and people actually donate their bodies and the researchers leave them lying around in a field, basically. Oh, my God. Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe submerged in water or in cages so that, you know, the vultures don't get to them and they put all kinds of meteorological apparatus around the place so they can so they can record all the atmospheric conditions to learn more about the the process uh, I, I think some donors actually request that their bodies be left to the vultures and that is of course something that one aspect of the process that researchers are also interested in so some are deliberately left out for the vultures as well oh. i mean i guess they've got to study every possible scenario so that makes sense but why it's it's just sounds so gnarly that sounds so scary it sounds <laughs> yeah, like a horror movie it does it was a an extraordinary experience i'd known about these places for some time and i had sort of, i had prepared myself and the only thing i was really concerned about was how i would react to the smell mm. but because it was it was midwinter i i actually couldn't smell very much at all not from not from the the cadavers that i saw on the fields right. at, the, uh, at the rooms where they do their experiments you know they uh, the the embalming room for example in the morticians uh, uh, right yeah. you know it has this constant sort of faint whiff of of death <laughs> all the time yeah had you ever smelled death prior to this experience but that was your first experience with the scent uh yeah i think it was i don't recall ever seeing or or smelling anything before that and did you just did you like innately know that that was what that smell was because i've personally never smelled death so i wonder i wonder if that's the type of scent that humans would innately instinctually understand as death right yeah i think I, i'm i'm not sure if if there's any understanding necessarily involved i think we're repulsed by it and and we'll withdraw from it even if we've never encountered it right. before and and that is an instinctive reaction and almost all animals are repulsed by rotting things evolutionarily that makes sense because yeah. they can be poisonous and transmit infectious diseases uh, so i think if you if you smell it you you may not immediately know exactly what it is you you, you might say oh it smells like someone's died maybe <laughs> right. but your immediate response i think would be to pull away from it right Definitely. yeah that makes sense what do you think the closest comparison to that stench would be well uh rotting meat oh. uh that's not really a comparison <laughs> uh, 
you know, actually, <laughs> literal. we're made of meat. And actually, people who have eaten human flesh say that it tastes like pork. So, yeah, rotting meat. And that's uh, not a not a comparison. That is actually that's what it is. What it is. Yeah. Oh, can we go back to, to the eating people? <laughs> I, I, I have never. Where, where did you did you come across that in um, you know your research? Or I'm just really interested in that because that does. I mean, taste and smell do go hand in hand. Yeah, they they do. And actually, you know, if you can't smell anything, you completely lose your sense of taste. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, if you've got a if you've got a cold, you can't taste anything. Right. Um, I I don't remember where I read that uh, human flesh tastes like <laughs> pork. I mean, I have I am very interested in in cannibalism. I've written a few things about it. For example, we know there's a story about uh, a human form of mad cow disease called kuru which is apparently transmitted by ritual mortalistic cannibalism um, among the foray peoples in in Papua New Guinea but that's uh, that's another story <laughs> altogether but there are examples of I think there's a film called Alive and this is actually a true story about the rugby team or something like that and they were flying over the Andes and their plane crashed <sighs> in you know on the top of a mountain in the middle of yes. in the middle of nowhere i remember hearing that story the the news story rather not the movie i haven't seen the movie yeah yeah and and some of them resorted to uh, to cannibalism oh my to, god to stay alive so there are various accounts right. of wow. cannibalism in in sort of non-ritualistic contexts so that may have been where i read this uh, Oof. where i read that <laughs> human flesh tastes like pork i haven't tried it myself. i mean you gotta eat me neither <laughs> i did used to bite my nails uh, that's uh, i think that, I think that quite counts <laughs> that makes sense it's seasoning yeah. <laughs> it's in the same it, it's in the same universe yeah <laughs> so can you explain a bit how you st- how how is the smell of death studied exactly like are there techniques or tools so the smell is a complex mixture of gases formed by volatile organic compounds so one way that it can be studied is with a technique called gas chromatography which is used to separate the components of a sample and measure how much of each is present. The way this works is you inject the sample into a stream of an inert carrier gas. So that's a chemically unreactive gas. Mm -hmm. Usually it's helium or nitrogen. And this transports the sample through a coiled column packed with um, silica or some other polymer. And this separates the components according to their affinity for the carrier gas. Those that bind to the carrier are quicker to reach a detector at Ah. the end of the column. And those that preferentially bind to the polymer move through the column more slowly. And the result is a graph with a series of peaks. And the position of a peak along the x-axis tells you how long that particular substance took to get through the column and the height of the peak 
tells you the amount of that substance in the sample. So this is a, a common analytical chemistry technique. It has a lot of applications such as, for example, testing for the presence of drugs in urine samples. Mm, okay. Okay. Now, the bouquet of death uh, <laughs> uh, contains hundreds of, of different gases. Many of them are, are very foul-smelling compounds. So it includes methane, hydrogen sulfide, and ammonia, Oof. which smell of farts rotten eggs and stale urine respectively uh, there's <laughs> dimethyl disulfide and trisulfide which smell of garlic and rotting cabbage there's indole which uh, smells of shit there's two methyl butanoic acid which smells of cheesy feet trimethyl <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, wow. trimethylamine, which is the rotten fish smell, and butyric acid, which smells like vomit. It also contains phenol, which has a, a sweet burning rubber smell, and hexadecanoic acid, which is often described as the smell of old people's homes. <laughs> Uh, but it also contains, um, yeah, it's quite a stench, uh, but it also contains some gases with pleasant odours, such as hexane, which smells of freshly mown grass, and butanol, which smells of leaf litter and forest floors. Hmm. So earthy, yeah. kind of. Yeah, well, I think uh, it could be described as a very very sickly and, and actually quite uh, sweet smell. So what are the chemical reactions or, or the microorganisms involved that are causing the odors? So there's a process called putrefaction. And this is when the proteins, carbohydrates and fatty acids and other substances that make up the internal organs and tissues are broken down by anaerobic bacteria. That's bacteria that can live without oxygen. Okay. And okay. Uh, these bacteria, they also ferment the sugar molecules in the tissues, the, the carbohydrates, and that releases methane, hydrogen sulfide, and ammonia as byproducts. So many of these gases, rather, are produced as byproducts from the breakdown of the various substances that make up the tissues. Some of the compounds are present in the body or, or produced by the body. So two components of the smell of death are molecules called cadaverin and putrescine. I love those names. Yeah. <laughs> they sound so punk rock. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, uh, good name for a, for a band. Yeah, definitely. Um, so cadaverin is actually synthesized by all cells in living tissue and there's a lot of cell death going on even in living tissue hmm. cells are constantly dying right. and being replaced and you get tissue damage as well and 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 damaged cells if if they're damaged beyond repair then they'll be you know 
removed and replaced. So damaged and dying cells release cadaverin and this molecule attracts immune system cells to the area that's damaged and gobble up the waste materials gotcha. and, and dead cells. Right. It's a weird illustration of how the body is its own ecosystem, even after yeah. you die in a weird way. Yeah. Because I was, and if I'm wrong, please let me know, because I probably am. But I was fascinated by, in your article, how you said, you know, even after, you know, whatever happens when you die, when you die, your body then knows what to do to start decomposing itself. I don't know. That was just really fascinating yeah. to me that the process that started after, you know, everything else stopped. Hmm. I sort of started thinking about the process of decomposition in terms of thermodynamics a body is just basically a lump of energy wrapped up as matter locked in a particular configuration and you can sort of think of almost think of life as as a fight against entropy Ent entropy is you know disorder you know and the second law of thermodynamics states that entropy in the universe always increases that just means things fall apart basically Ooh. so so you know when when we're alive there's something holding all our atoms together in a specific configuration uh, and when when we die that uh, you know, you could think of decomposition almost as as a process of, it's just a process of, of entropy. The organization of the atoms and, and molecules in, in our bodies just simply breaks down and all of the energy in our bodies is released and the matter is is recycled. It's like a biological unraveling. Mm. That's kind of cool. That is cool. So once a, a deceased body is decomposing and, you know, fumigating all of these crazy scents, what other organisms does that scent invite and for what purpose? Well, so most living things are repelled by this smell, but certain species are attracted to it. So there are insect species that will colonize cadavers to feed on the, the dead tissue and lay their eggs in it. And then when the eggs hatch, the, the maggots will, will also feed on the flesh. Then they'll mature into flies, uh, uh, fly away. They maybe come back later and lay their own eggs. So these species are attracted to cadaverin. So all, all species have olfactory receptors that detect smell molecules in the air right. for most species. So the cadaverin receptor was um, isolated in, uh, identified in, in zebrafish about, about seven years ago and by some researchers in, in Germany working with others at Harvard, I, I think. But these researchers showed that when the zebrafish detects uh, cadaverin through its receptor, that triggers an, an avoidance response. But these, these insects would have very, very similar receptors. You know, the receptors are very similar throughout the 
animal kingdom but in these insects it would trigger a, an attractive rather than an avoidance response so they will home in on the source of the smell so the smell acts as a, as a cue for them to to find food and there's a place for them to lay their eggs uh, vultures of course they're another notable exception they feed on rotting flesh and they surely also have receptors for cadaverin and related molecules and can use their sense of smell to find food and they can feed on on rotting flesh for various reasons they've evolved various adaptations that enable them to do that so their stomachs have a very high acid content which can kill disease causing bacteria and their guts also contain bacteria that are related to the ones the pathogenic bacteria that might be found in rotting meat and, and that might confer tolerance or immunity Got it. to uh, to anything that might be present in the rotting flesh forgive me if this is obvious but i find it so interesting that the death of one thing can breed new life in like another organism like flies or maggots or, or what have you it's it's just like a weird circle of life moment but yeah. it's also equally as gross. I don't know, <laughs> to me, to me. Well, even a body that's embalmed and buried in a coffin, but even then, you know, embalming just slows down the process of, of decomposition. Even embalmed bodies will eventually decompose. And unless they've been buried in a, in a sort of airtight titanium coffin, which you can be buried in if you want if you can afford but it other, <laughs> if you can afford yeah. it yeah but otherwise the body will eventually decompose and the liquefied tissues or at least some of them will leak out into the surroundings and that actually enriches the soil it in increases the biodiversity in the surrounding area so you get an increase in the number of plant species and uh, the numbers of nematode worms and that kind of thing in a small area surrounding the body hmm. that's really interesting and i wonder if maybe any sort of research at the body farms maybe like do you think they they are thinking of figuring out a way how to use those substances to help uh, like pr proliferate growth and greater biodiversity in other areas. Oh, that's a interesting uh, possibility. I'm not. I'm not sure about that. I do know that some body farm researchers think that this might provide a, a new way of searching for, you know, murder victims who have been buried in a shallow grave or something like mm -hmm. that because there's this release of energy into the soil that actually changes the thermal spectrum of the area or something like that which is actually observe observable by thermal imaging you know if uh, the police are, are out searching for a, a body shall we say you know they'll they'll have a, a team sort of spreading out and walking across a bit of land but another way of doing that might be to send up a drone with a thermal imaging 
camera to look for energy hotspots, you know, small small patches of land that look slightly different from the surrounding wow. areas. And that might be one way of finding murder murder <laughs> victims. I don't know if anyone's thinking of using, you're basically using bodies as compost. I don't know, but that's an intriguing possibility, I think. I remember reading about a service where when you die, instead of being buried in a traditional way in, in a coffin, in a casket that's very expensive, you could basically turn yourself into a tree where you get buried in like, it's like a little tree pod that has either a sapling or a seed and then your decomposition helps to feed this growing tree as like a memorial oh, crazy interesting interesting yeah. yeah so some of the material from your body would be incorporated into the tree you yeah know, if you're buried directly under it yeah I'd never heard of that, but I I have heard of a service. I think was it they take your ashes, which are carbon, right? right? So if, if a loved one is cremated, you can send their ashes to these companies that will use them to make synthetic gemstones. So you can have. Uh, a synthetic oh. diamond I, yes and, and diamonds are <laughs> diamonds are pure carbon right carbon atoms locked in a tetrahedral pattern there are companies that will make synthetic diamonds out of people's ashes that's sick you can be a yes. tree i'll be a haunted piece of jewelry <laughs> actually we know somebody who did that uh renee rillo when her husband passed away oh my god she turned him into a diamond that's sick. yeah <laughs> So yeah, when you were talking about that, I was like, wait, this sounds familiar. And then I was like, yes, I remember you can turn, because ashes are carbon, you're right. Wow. It's uh, a beautiful, it's quite beautiful, I think. You know, it so is, yeah. the first law of thermodynamics is is that, you know, the the amount of energy in the universe never changes. Energy can't be created or destroyed. Right. It can only be transformed from one form to another uh, so another way of thinking about that is that all the matter in the universe has always existed and as long as the universe exists all the matter will always exist so all the atoms that make up our bodies you know they were born in deep space all the atoms in the universe have always existed and will always exist they just change their configurations so i yeah. like that so everyone really is eternal yeah it's a nice thought and made of stardust yeah it's not ready for any of this but i, love I know it. i was like i was not prepared for such an existential conversation but i'm happy it's happening <laughs> So how do you think that uh, a body's decomposition scent can help us in understanding the nature of death? Like, how do they use that information to, for instance, solve a crime or determine a cause of death? Well, at, at the moment, we don't really know enough about it, but it, it could have a number of uses in forensics. So we know that the smell changes over time 
right. you know so a, a better understanding of how its composition changes with time could for example help to determine the time of death and if you can determine we could call them the the signature notes of the odor that would be helpful in training dogs to find corpses but because the smell changes with time as the process of decomposition progresses mm-hmm. and they still haven't figured out exactly which components of the smell would be best for training these uh, cadaver dogs. <laughs> these cadaver canines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's really fascinating, especially now with all the, the innovations in forensics. I feel like that's probably coming down the line. Yeah. I can't see how it couldn't. It could also uh, have other applications, though, uh, completely outside of um, psychiatry. So something I found out today, actually, which I thought was fascinating, is that one variant of the human cadaverin receptor plays a role in how people respond to antidepressants. Oh, wow. Wow. And yeah, another variant has been linked to the higher risk of suicide. Now, that's just the, that's just a correlation. You know, it's, it's a correlation not a causation. Right, but got it. it. It may at some point be possible uh, with this knowledge to develop a death smell test uh, that could help to identify individuals who are at risk of psychiatric conditions. Wow. And this is like a, a, a new discovery because you, you just found out about it today. Well, yeah, the the studies that I found are quite recent. They're not brand new, but I think uh, a couple of a couple of uh, a couple of years old. Got it. I'm always fascinated when I hear about how two seemingly totally unrelated things have this sort of correlation, and like how people discover that. Mm. Well, there's uh, a lot of serendipity in scientific discovery. So do you think that the the corpse smell, as it were, does it ever go away? I mean, I, I guess eventually it does go away on its own, but how long do you reckon that that would take? I mean, it, it would clearly be different in a field as opposed to like in a residence or building. Yeah, well, that really depends on, on a lot of things. Say we've got a, a rotting corpse. The smell is strongest at the early and middle stages of decomposition when this putrefaction is taking place so the proteins and carbohydrates are breaking down and these gaseous byproducts are are building up within the corpse and that actually causes bloating and the skin will eventually rupture at its weakest points and the body will pop Uh, as morticians say (laughs) and the liquefied tissue will begin to leak out and the gases will escape more easily. So up to this stage, the smell can be very, very strong. Afterwards, the remains will begin to dry out and skeletonize, after which the smell won't be so strong. Right. The rate of decomposition depends on uh, many factors, but the main one is 
temperature. So the higher the temperature, the faster the rate of, of decomposition. If it's very hot, these processes will take place quickly and the corpse will, I suppose, give off a stench for, say, up to a week um, before it begins to dry up. But if if it's in an in enclosed space, the smell will permeate everything. It, it, it lingers in the air, it lingers in, uh. in the furniture and, <laughs> and clothes. It lingers in your nostrils Aye. for a day or two. So when you've got what's called an unattended death, you know, someone right, who, yeah. someone dies at home and their body isn't discovered for it's one of my fears <laughs> yeah days or or weeks or or even months then that you know that will smell uh really really bad but there are what are called death cleanup services who remove the remains after an unattended death and clean up afterwards they have various methods of of deodorizing but you know that there's no there's no big secret you know they'll rip up the carpets and use industrial oh, yeah. uh, enzymatic cleaning products air purifiers and that kind of thing now i don't know if they can remove the smell completely i i suppose that would depend on on the exact circumstances of the death. There's a recent book actually all about that called The Trauma Cleaner. Wow. And uh, what a title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's by Sarah Krasnerstein, okay. The Trauma Cleaner. Mm. That's wow. all about I'm going to look that up. Um, it's it's um about someone who who went into that line of work you know cleaning up mm -hmm. unattended deaths and murder victims and uh, and that kind of thing wow. i remember reading a book a couple of years ago by a forensic scientist and her job she worked in new york city and her job was to basically investigate all the dead bodies found in new york city to determine the cause of death and the time and in the instances of unattended deaths when often because like new york city it's all apartment buildings it would be the neighbors who would call the authorities to investigate and then they would tell the building they would tell everybody to brew coffee at the same time what? and that the smell of coffee would either neutralize it like it wouldn't get rid of the scent but it would neutralize it from your ability mm. to pick it up wow oh yeah. interesting there's a there's a, a process called um lateral inhibition mm. in 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 the nervous system you know where you see that's why um rubbing uh, rubbing around an injury alleviates the the pain some bit because the activity in in the nerve fibers sort of interferes the the activity in adjacent nerve fibers interfere with each other so maybe that's why the smell of coffee might sort of compete yeah. you know in the nose probably not for the same receptor but for the flow of information from the nose yeah. to the brain yeah like i don't think it's actually doing anything for the actual whatever stench is there but i think for the neighbors it just makes it more bearable <laughs> <laughs> yeah it sort of 
dis- distracting. Yeah. This wow. has been such a fascinating conversation. I'm so glad we got a hold of you. Yeah. And thank you again for taking time out of your day to speak with us. Oh, it's my my pleasure. I've uh, I've enjoyed it too. <laughs> Great. So thank you. Uh, thanks for uh, inviting me on. Of course. Of course anytime. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I know. That was a lot. That was that was a lot of a lot, and I, you know. <laughs> Like the articles, a bit of it was over my head, but I think that's okay. <laughs> that's you know, fine. Uh, science is not my bag, clearly. <laughs> but. I love how he went into like the existentialism yeah. beyond death. Like that was nice. That was, I think, what was missing for me from yeah. parts of it. And then we circled back to it, and I was like, ah, okay. I like that. I mean, obviously, I can't have a thought without an emotion accompanying it. So, like, <laughs> this is a you know illustration of that. But yeah, wow. Perhaps we should have put a disclaimer for the squeamish up front. So <laughs> surprise, bitch. Surprise, it's gross. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what happens when you die. It's weird. Yeah. It's it's like like I kind of said, even when you die, like things keep going. I know. I like the idea where it's like every everyone who's existed, they're still around and just a transformed kind of energy i know that always blows my mind mm-hmm. how we are all made of stardust yeah. i know that sounds like very pinterest but i'm pretty sure i've seen some pinterest that say exactly that yeah but now that a scientist said it i'm you know i'm more amenable to it yeah exactly <laughs> now i can put it on my walls yes <laughs> wow well i hope you guys enjoyed that yeah, and same. okay this is why i didn't initially want to call us a perfume podcast because this is among the things that we wish to explore with smelly later yeah for sure not just fine fragrances not just candles or home fragrances but also crazy smells like the smell of death you know what i was thinking this week i want to do a smell of love (gasps) for valentine's day i know we already kind of have a valentine's day episode planned but we can we can think about it we can do multiple ones hell yeah we don't have bosses who's gonna tell us no i know i love being the boss (laughs) but yeah if you guys have any you know ideas that you would love to uh see us explore uh, head us in the dms dm us also please tell me us please tell us what you're gonna be for halloween or Mm. share your best or favorite costume we are obsessed with halloween yes i know it's like not related to the the podcast but i don't care it is now it is now (laughs) it's a halloween podcast this week yep yeah, so follow us on Instagram, smellylater.mp3. <laughs> follow me at Tyne and Buck. And follow me at Sabletooth Tigra. If you are going out this weekend, please be safe. Wear a mask. Wear and a it can be a mask. scary mask. Yeah. Wear a mask underneath your mask. Please remember that we are still very much in a pandemic. Yeah. And tensions Ooh. are high. I hope people are really creative with like incorporating their their pandemic masks into yes. their costumes. Yes. Like that would be cool. Do not drink and drive. Don't fucking do it. Um, you know, don't even drink and walk. Don't drink. Um don't walk. <laughs> Sable, say, well, don't drink. <laughs> don't drink. Just kidding. Don't listen to me. <laughs> um, so yes. Leave us Five stars. Some nice, yes. Leave us some nice stars, some stardust on Apple Podcasts if you like. And yeah, that's this week's episode. Smell you later. Smell you later. Bye.